All right, um, I'm going to start you on a new series this morning. You can open to Ezekiel chapter 14, but we are going to be studying the book of Daniel. And uh, this morning, I will begin going verse by verse and take you all the way through the book, Lord willing. I have no idea how long that will take. We'll, we'll teach it till Jesus comes if we have to, amen? Uh, but I'm going to begin going through Daniel with you. And I want to say it's going to feel a little bit like Bible school for those of you that come out to the classes or maybe you watch some of those online. Um, there will be a, a little bit of that, that feel to it. Nevertheless, I understand we're in a Sunday morning Bible study, so I, I'd like to think that there's going to be more practical moments and more preachable moments. Daniel breaks into two halves, the book of Daniel. So it's 12 chapters. The first six chapters are very practical. It's a lot of narrative. It's a lot of stories, fantastic stories. And then the last half of the book is more prophetical. It is more uh, visions that Daniel had and, and much more prophetical in, in, in his teaching. So it gets a bit heavy on the doctrine, whereas the first six chapters much more practical. So you get the practical and prophetical. Um, Daniel went to Babylon as a teenager. We're not quite sure exactly how young, but maybe some put him 13, 14, maybe up into the upper teens. Uh, but somewhere in his teenage years, he was in Babylon. And then he lived out the rest of his life there. He died uh, in Babylon. And there's various stories that surround his burial place. They, you know, some people say it was in Babylon. Others say in Susa or Persia, something like that. Some even say that he has the temple goods of Solomon's temple buried near him. So if you remember the story, we'll see it now. They carried away the vessels out of the temple of Solomon and took them to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar did. So evidently, you know, just the story goes that Daniel somehow got his hands on those and then kept them until the end of his life and was buried near them. I, we, that's not in the Bible. That's just history books saying such things. But we're going to see in this story, Daniel goes from being a captive and then he was going to become a eunuch. He's hit rock bottom as far as life is concerned, but then he begins to ascend. And God just opens door after door after door for him until he becomes royalty in captivity, which is an interesting thought, that even though you might be going through some tough times and maybe society uh, doesn't give you a lot of opportunities, if you stand strong for God, you just never know where he'll take you. So I know we look around and we go, there's no hope here in South Africa. You know, the economy's shot, the politicians are rubbish, and the infrastructure's gone, and there's no hope and no future for this country. Okay, well, I'm not a prophet in that manner. I'm not here to tell you what will or will not happen in South Africa, you know, specifically. But I know this, you as an individual, God can still use you. You can still walk with God. You can still stand for God. And Daniel is an outstanding uh, picture of that. So he stands against worldly and fleshly temptation. He stands against pride and corruption in the system around him. He stands strong in his faith for God. And he faithfully communicates everything God tells him, even when it's not a popular message. Uh, the reason I've turned you to Ezekiel, look with me at verse number 14. Ezekiel 14 and verse 14. Though these three men, Ezekiel 14 and verse 14, though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Now, just to give you the quick summation of what you're reading here, 
The prophet Ezekiel is a contemporary with Daniel. Have that in your mind. Daniel's carried away in 606 BC. He goes into captivity into Babylon. But then Ezekiel, he's already in captivity in a different area, right? And now Ezekiel is seeing visions and having, you know, God speaking to him about the destruction that's going to take place in Jerusalem. And God says, even if these three guys, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in this city, only those three would escape. I would still wipe out the rest of the, the city. That's how bad off they were. Now, that gives you an idea of the context in which these men live, but think about this. Noah, I get it, right? You read that in Genesis, and you say, I, I can see why Noah he has such clout. He has such a reputation, a testimony. Walked by faith, built the ark by faith. All of this, you know, he deserves this. Job, what a story. We can see why God would put his finger on Job and say, there's a man that, you know, if things got rough, I would deliver Job. But here's Daniel, who is just a teenager. Think about that. Daniel is just a teenager. At best, at this time, he is the age of some of you students, young 20s. At best, by the time Ezekiel is writing this. And God says, that young man has made such a mark, I'd put him on the same level with Noah and Job. Isn't that saying something? That's saying something. So so Daniel is a very interesting figure to study when you remember it's more than just Daniel's going to give us prophecies, right? Normally when we think of Daniel, we think of the lion's den, right? The dreams that he interpreted, the visions that he had. But there's a lot of practical meat to his story. And there's, I think, some very good lessons that we're going to be able to take away from, from this. As, as practically speaking, Daniel's story translate, translates well to us because he was a stranger and a pilgrim, right, in a foreign land. Isn't that what we are? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, strangers and pilgrims. Right? We sing a song, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And that's Daniel. He was living in a place that wasn't home. I'm living in a place that isn't home. Right? I know you identify, I say you, I'm careful here. I'm not South African. Almost though. Almost. Right? I have the hat and the t-shirt. I have some, you know, I have a two-tone shirt and bura, burka. I have all of that. I do, I do. I even wore it to church once. That's a story for another time. But, uh, but I, I'm still American at my core. I get that. But I'm working on it. I'm getting there. Bicky, bicky, I'm getting there. But you guys identify as South African. Help yourself. Nothing wrong with that. But at some point, it needs to sink in deep that you're a citizen of heaven. My citizenship is in heaven, I'm living in Christ, you see. I'm already there in Jesus, I'm waiting on my body to be. I'm already over on the other side, waiting on my brand new body. Sitting up there in the heavenly fair at the right hand of the Father. Right? So we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This world is not my home. And Daniel constantly was reminded of that. He's in a place that he really can't call home. It was strange to him. So a stranger and a pilgrim, and yet he fought and stood against the pressures of it. So let's look at a few things now about the book of Daniel. Uh, come to Daniel chapter 12 and get that in your, in your left hand, and in your right hand get uh, the book of Revelation all the way to the end, Revelation chapter 22. Daniel chapter 12. 
And it just, I'm going to give you a few interesting facts about the book just to familiarize you with it. And then we'll start going verse by verse through the book itself. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4. I think many of you know this, but I'll just give you the verses for it. This book, Daniel, pairs very nicely with Revelation. It's hard when you teach Revelation. I don't want to say it's hard. It's almost impossible to not cross-reference something from Daniel. These two books, and it's been said and it's true, the best commentary ever written on the book of Daniel was the book of Revelation and vice versa. The best commentary in Revelation is the book of Daniel. Those two books just go perfectly together. You'll see why. Daniel 12 verse 4, but thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Daniel, I've shown you a lot of things about the end. Now, close the book. Seal it up. I don't want you to explain any of it to anyone. I've shown you enough. We're going to have to hit the pause button on all this revelation. Let me say that carefully. On all the things I'm revealing. And then later on, somebody's going to open that book up. So come to Revelation 22. And look with me at verse number 10. And you know the Apostle John is given many revelations in the book of Revelation here in verse 10 it it says and he saith unto me this is an angel speaking to John seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book for the time is at hand you see how what was said to Daniel seal it up and he says even to the time of the end Daniel then we get to John in the book of Revelation all right don't seal it The time is now. The time's at hand. Now's the time that we wrap our heads around these end time prophecies. Now, if that was applicable almost 2,000 years ago, how much more applicable as we are knocking on the door of these events, right? Of of actually uh, having these things happen in the world. Now, continue to work back and forth here. Daniel 7, verse 25, and, and also Revelation 12. Daniel 7, verse 25. And Revelation chapter 12. Daniel 7 and verse 25. And forgive me, there's so much context around these things, but I'm just reading the the verse and picking one thing out of it for now. Daniel 7 and 25. and, And he shall speak great words against the Most High. Now this is speaking about the Antichrist. And shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. You you see the designation of time there. Time, times, and dividing of time. So that, that works out to be three and a half years. Now as we come to that verse, I'll explain that more deeply, but look at Revelation 12. And in Revelation 12, You have the devil being defeated in a heavenly Star Wars, if you will. Michael and his angels defeat the devil and his angels. The devil is cast down. And then when you get to verse 12, Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. How long is the time? Just come to verse 14. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. 
you see almost the same wording. Time, times, and here it says half a time. So time, singular, one. And we're going to see in the book of Daniel where seven times pass over Nebuchadnezzar. Remember when he loses his mind? When you go in the history books, he actually did lose his mind for seven years. That, that's written in the Babylonian history books. So a time is one year. So time, singular, one. Times, plural, two. Half a time, so three and a half years. So we have, we're dealing in Daniel with the same context, same time frame as what we're reading about in Revelation. I just want you to see the connection and how these two things overlap. All right, do it once again. Let's get Daniel 9. And this time you can drop Revelation and get the book of Matthew chapter 24. Uh, Daniel 9 verse 27 and Matthew chapter 24. Right, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. The Bible is describing the 70 weeks that are to happen to the people of Israel. And again, much, a lot of deep stuff to get into there. In verse 27, we're dealing with what's called Daniel's 70th week. And this is describing the seven years of the tribulation. All right, so just to spell it out quickly, the rapture one day will happen. Uh, the dead in Christ will rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. While we're up in heaven, the judgment seat of Christ is going to take place. That's a judgment only for believers, for Christians. On the earth, everybody that was left behind is going through the tribulation time. Now we use that word. I'm going to show you in Matthew now. That's a word that Jesus used. It's a time of great troubles. So we give it a proper name, the tribulation. But understand, the Bible refers to it in different ways. The time of Jacob's trouble from Jeremiah 30, verse 7. And we call it Daniel's 70th week from what we're about to read. So Daniel 9, and verse 27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Now the he is referring to the Antichrist. He confirms the covenant. The covenant is a deal with Israel. God made a covenant with Israel that the land of Canaan was their land. The Antichrist will one day step in and confirm that and say, yes, this land does belong to the, to the Israelites. And he's going to make a, a peace treaty with them, if you will, for seven years. And then it goes on to say, and in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation, until the end. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate so he makes a deal confirms a deal for seven years but in the midst of it he breaks the deal and instead of protecting Israel he's going to attack Israel and it will be the worst attack they've ever had now just think about that we know what Hitler did we know what the Romans did in 70 AD this is going to be the worst thing that's ever happened to them that's just mind-blowing mind-blowing Two-thirds of all the Jews in the world will die during this attack. It, it's going to get bad. But notice the timing of it. Seven years. Cut it in half. How many do you have? Three and a half. Three and a half. So Daniel's discussing that. Revelation's discussing that. Jesus discusses that. Matthew chapter 24. Keep Daniel. 
Keep Daniel. Matthew 24, verse 15. Jesus is speaking about the end, and he says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. That word understand, anytime you see it biblically, and, and practically in, in your daily life it means this too, but biblically, see the big picture. Always stop and go, what's the big picture here? Whoso readeth, let him understand. So what, what Jesus is telling you to do, go back and study Daniel so that you can understand what I'm saying now. You see why we want to go through the book of Daniel? I'd love to know more about what Jesus said. He's answering the question, what is the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And he says, okay, if you want to see the big picture, go read Daniel. And Daniel talks about the abomination of desolation. We just read that in, in part in Daniel 9, 27. For the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. That's the abomination of desolation. Right? So Matthew 24, verse 15. Whoso readeth, let him understand. So when you see that, that abomination, stand up. Run, man, run. Now he's talking to people in Jerusalem. You know it because of verse 16. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the house taught not come down to take anything out of his house. Don't even pack a suitcase. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. You don't need to change clothes tomorrow. Just run. Verse 19, woe unto them that are with child, to them that give suck in those days. Why? You can't run as fast. Verse 20, but pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Why? Because if it's a winter time, you can't run as fast. If it's on the Sabbath day, the Jews don't fly. They don't, they don't travel as far on the Sabbath. He says, you better hope it's not on that day. Verse 21, watch the wording. For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. That's where we get the term, the tribulation. Jesus says, then shall be great tribulation. So we give it a capital T just to make it a proper name and say the tribulation, right? Now notice Jesus says it's going to be as bad as, it'll be worse than it's ever been. Do you see that at the end of the verse? Such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor, nor ever shall be. There are many theologians, and most of them in this town, actually. This is the mainstay doctrine of the Reformed Church, that this passage has already happened. Now, I'm, forgive me for the theological terms, but it's called the preterist view, which is to say that everything in Matthew 24 has already happened. It happened in 70 A.D. when the Romans attacked Jerusalem that's when they were supposed to run and flee. That's when they desecrated the temple and, and, and. Now, there's several problems with that, but I'll tell you one from verse 21. Jesus said, the things that will happen to fulfill these prophecies, the prophecy from Daniel, it'll be the worst thing the world's ever seen. Okay, it was bad in 70 AD. Don't get me wrong. That was bad, but come on. The worst? The worst? No. It wasn't the worst ever. So what we're reading in Matthew 24 is still something that is going to happen in the future. Now, you can keep holding Matthew 24. Come back to Daniel, get chapter 12. <clears throat> Daniel 12 and verse 1. And he says here, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. 
right? Now, he's, he's talking about Michael. We know him from other places in the Bible, but Revelation, right? Have you read, most everybody's read Revelation. Even lost people read Revelation. It's just cool, right? I mean, it's just cool. There's, there's weird stuff flying up out of the bottomless pit and these crazy things coming down from heaven. I mean, it's just cool. People make movies about it. Hollywood knows it, right? It's just, it's, it's, it's interesting. Revelation 12, Michael and his angels fight against the devil and his angels. Daniel 12 told us this would happen. Michael shall stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. Michael is the guardian angel, if you will, over the people of Israel. Now this is something we'll get in Daniel 10. There are angels assigned or let's, I don't want to say angels, but well, that's true. Principalities and power, spiritual beings watching over various nations. I, I don't know which one's watching over South Africa. Yeah? Maybe his name is, is Lebohan or <laughs> Tabo. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's fine if it is, right? That's not a problem, but, but someone is. All right, Michael's the great prince which stands for the people of Israel. And I'm in the middle of verse 1, and there shall be a time of trouble. Another word for trouble, tribulation. Right? There shall be a time of trouble, watch the wording, such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. Do you see how Jesus is quoting Daniel? That's why he says, if whoso reads, let him understand. Go study Daniel. And then you'll wrap your head around what I'm telling you in Matthew 24. Let's keep reading. And at that time thy people shall be delivered. Every one shall be found, uh, that shall be found written in the book. And then you can dive back into the book of Revelation where the book of life is mentioned several times and how they get delivered. All right. Now the next thing I want to point out, you can come back to Matthew 24 and verse number 15. Matthew 24 and verse 15. And um, just, again, for the sake of knowing it, the Jewish Bible, right, we call it the Old Testament. I'm going to call it the Hebrew Bible. It, has, it breaks down into 24 books. Now, there's actually some argument about that. Some say it's 22, some say 24. We would have First and Second Chronicles, right? First and Second Kings, they don't. They just have chronicles. They just have kings. So the way that they group the books together is a little different, and that's why some people have different numbers. But the most classic number that you find is 24, right? It has 24 books. We, in our Protestant Bible, as we refer to it, we have 39 books in the Old Testament. But we have um, Hosea, Micah, Joel, Amos, right? Obadiah, Jonah, all of that. We refer to them as minor prophets. But in the Hebrew Bible... It's called the Book of the Twelve. There are 12 minor prophets, and that's one book for them, the Book of the Twelve. So all the minor prophets, one book, right? So, and that's why I say you have, even if you look, most of you have this probably in the heading. You can look at it later if you want, but if you go to like First Kings, at the beginning of it, it'll say the, the first book of Kings, otherwise called the third book of the Kings. That's in the, in the heading of my chapter. Because... In the Hebrew Bible, 1 Samuel is 1 Kings because that's where the first king of Israel is mentioned. 2 Samuel is 2 Kings. 1 Kings is 3 Kings. And you see how the groupings get different. Now, here's where I'm linking it into the book of Daniel. Daniel, interestingly enough, is not considered a prophetical book by the Jews. Now, I don't know about you, 
For me, pound for pound, Daniel has more prophetical power than maybe any other prophet. Because the stuff that he's giving, it is just one verse after another, deep prophetical stuff. You get to Isaiah, Jeremiah, there's a lot of prophecy there, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of narrative as well. There's a lot of Isaiah says to this king or Jeremiah says to this people and it's a lot of history as to what he said to them. Daniel's just all future stuff, so it seems, right? Especially the latter half of the book. So why would they lump Daniel in with, they put it into the historical category rather than the prophetical. So the same category that you would find Ezra and Nehemiah, they put Daniel there. Now part of the reason for that, Ezra, Nehemiah, that's after the exile, when the Jews come back. Daniel is giving his revelation during the exile and even a little after the exile. Daniel, he spans not only the Babylonian kingdom, he rules in the Persian kingdom. So there's a bit of a a carryover there, and that's probably why the Jews decided to put him more into that category. Furthermore, Daniel's ministry was unlike Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, the major prophets. He did not stand up and preach to his own people and say, thus saith the Lord, and pronounce judgment on his people. Daniel received visions. Daniel interpreted dreams. He did not stand up and preach to the nation, thus saith the Lord. So his, even though it is prophetical, the visions and the interpretations are prophetical, it rings a little different, which again, the Jews kind of set him aside and go, well, he's not like the other prophets, so let's not put his book amongst the prophetical books. Now, that's the Jewish side of it. The enemies of the Bible, whether they are atheists, whether they are skeptics of any nature, Muslims, whatever they are, in the early, I think, uh, 300s, there was a man, or 200s, there was a man named Porphyry, and he said the book of Daniel could not possibly be prophetical. There's no way it's prophetical. It has to be historical. Now, the book of Daniel was written right about 536 B.C., right about then. Porphyry said that's impossible. Listen to the reason he said it. He said nobody could have known all the details that this man gives in his book. It's impossible. No prophet has ever been that particular and that specific about the details. So he says this, whoever wrote the book of Daniel, he says we don't know who it was, he had to have lived in like 165. And that way he's looking back on history and he can give us like a newspaper reporting on on the details. Well, Porphyrite, thank you for the compliment. He, He is admitting the book of Daniel is extremely impressive so impressive that he couldn't take it. So he said, no, no, I have to move the date. Now, what evidence did he have to say Daniel lived after 165 and not back in 536? The evidence for that, listen, is an unbelieving heart. He had no evidence. He had none. The only evidence was the prophecy is too impressive. Nobody can get that much right. But Years later, we're talking a few cent- several centuries after Porphyry has passed on, the archaeologists have dug up the evidence. Daniel did live in the 500s. He had to have. The evidence is overwhelming because it's not just Jewish, but it's Babylonian, it's Persian. Daniel was in all three kingdoms, and there's evidence in all three that he lived in that time frame. Now, rather, if you don't trust archaeologists, and, and listen, I, I have no problems with archaeology, 
you know, as, as, a, as a science, that's fine. But I'm not going to trust the word of a man. Let's take the word of Jesus. Was Daniel a historian that was reporting on past events? Or was he a prophet speaking about future events? Matthew 24, verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the what? The prophet. Jesus said he was a prophet. Well, finished in clar, he's a prophet. <laughs> right? I, I'm glad the archaeologist, you know, 1,500 years later, figured that out. But we had it in the days of, I, we knew it even before Jesus. But Jesus, I think, is the, you know, he has the final say on this. As far as I'm concerned, he's a prophet. All right, one other thing. You can come back to the book of Daniel. Before we get into verse by verse, just come to Daniel 2. Daniel 2, look with me at verse number 4. Uh, you can get that in your left hand and your right hand, Daniel 7 and verse 28. Daniel 2, verse 4, and Daniel 7 and verse 28. Again, just for the sake of interest, there are two books in the Old Testament that are bilingual. Every book that we have in the New Testament, we have Greek manuscripts, right, that, that we translate from. All right, so the New Testament was written in Greek. There is some historical evidence that the Gospel of Matthew was originally written in Hebrew, but we've never found that. But Eusebius tells us that that is what happened. And he's, he's quoting Papias, which is back in the 100s. So there's a good chance Matthew was written in Hebrew, but we have it in Greek. Right? So New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, except in two places. There are two places in the Old Testament where you find Aramaic, or another way to say Aramaic is Syriac, right? Because Aramaic is what they spoke in Syria, right? So Syriac language. So in the book of Ezra, there's a small portion, a few chapters that are written in, in, uh, in Aramaic. I say chapters, forgive me, that might just be verses, but Daniel chapter 2 verse 4, th there's a portion in the book of Daniel that is in Aramaic as well. Verse 4 says, Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac. So starting in verse 4, all the way to chapter 7 and verse 28. Chapter 7 and 28. Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations must trouble me. That's my thoughts. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. All right, so from 2 verse 4 to 7.28, all of that is written in Aramaic or Syriac. Now, that doesn't really change anything as to how we understand the Bible. I'm just telling you a little bit of the history of it. Now, come back to chapter 1, and we'll get just a little bit of information before we're done today. Chapter 1 and verse 1. Uh, you can get that, and you can get Jeremiah chapter 25 in your other hand. Jeremiah 25 and verse 1. <clears throat> and Daniel 1 and verse 1. All right, so reading now in Daniel 1 and verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. Now this takes place in 606 B.C., third year of Jehoiakim, but it says the first year, oh, forgive me, it says came Nebuchadnezzar. This is actually Neb 
Neb's first year, right? Forgive me, it's a long word. We're just going to call him Neb. <laughs> Neb's first year uh, was Jehoiakim's third. Now look at Jeremiah 25 and verse, verse 1. You'll see the timing. And I, I, there's another reason I'm showing you this verse, so stay with me here. Jeremiah 25 and 1. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. That was the first year of Nebuchadrezzar, king of Babylon. All right? Nebuchadrezzar, alternate spelling for Nebuchadnezzar. It's a whole pronunciation problem. That's all that it is. Some people said Nezer, others said Rezer. That's just how it is. That's no big deal. But then you see, it says in Neb's first year, that was Jehoiakim's fourth year. But then in Daniel, it says it was Jehoiakim's third year. So what's the answer? Three and a half. It was three and a half. And, and the Babylonians rounded up, whereas the Jews rounded down. That, that's all that it is. So in Daniel, it says it was his third year. Yes, because in Babylon, in Babylon they would teach you to round up. And then in Jeremiah, it says fourth year because he's rounding down. That's, that's all that it is. So no, no big problem with either of those places. All right, now come back to Daniel. And chapter 1 and verse 1 again. So Daniel is part of the first wave of captives. There were several waves. I think three altogether, you know, major, um, let's call it events, when Nebuchadnezzar sent people in to besiege and take captives. Verse 2, Daniel 1 and verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God. With part, not all, but some of them went. So we're talking the cups, the bowls, the spoons, the furniture of the tabernacle, or the temple in this case. It says, which he carried into the land of Shinar. Shinar is another name for Babylon, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. All right, you can hold Daniel chapter 1, get 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 24. Second Kings. What we're reading in Daniel chapter 1 is also happening in 2 Kings chapter 24 and 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Now, I'm not going to take time to read all those verses, but I just want to show you one thing here. 2 Kings 24 verse 1. I'll remind you in Daniel, it says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim into Neb's hand. Right? The Lord gave him. He gave him. 2 Kings 24, verse 1. In the days of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came, I'm sorry, in his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him bands of the Chaldees, and bands of the Syrians, and bands of the Moabites, and bands of the children of Ammon, and sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servants, the prophets. What is Jehoiakim doing? God has said over and over through the prophets, you're going down. You are not going to escape the judgment of God. You cannot flee fast enough from the wrath of God. You know what Jehoiakim did? He rebelled against it. He said, nope, I'll fight. I'll stand. No, you won't. No, you won't. Even the prophet Ezekiel would ask the question to the nation, who shall stand when the wrath of the Lord begins to be manifested? Who shall stand? I mean, th think of a puny little man. Come on, bring it on, God. I can take. No, you can't. 
That's why John the Baptist said, Who's floor, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Do you know who you're dealing with? So verse 3, Surely at the commandment of the Lord came this upon Judah to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh according to all that he did. That was de- decades before this. But what Manasseh did decades ago, God said, that has to be dealt with. I can't let that slide. Here's what it was, verse 4, and also for the innocent blood that was shed because they were killing babies. And, by the way, innocent people, right, through corruption, stuff like that were being put to death. How much innocent blood do you think has been shed all over the world through abortion? You think God's going to keep winking at that? You think you're going to run from that? You think we're not going to be able to escape that? It says in the middle of verse 4, For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. He said, I I can't let that slide. Verse 5, Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And this, you can go to 2 Chronicles and read more about that later. Now, what I want to bring out a couple practical thoughts before we're done. Uh, Listen, every country in the world has innocent blood that has been shed. It has injustice. There is corruption. South Africa is certainly not immune. We might be leading. We, we might be head and shoulders above the rest when it comes to this. Amen? Now, that being said, l- let's, let's paint the picture properly. It's not as if South Africa deserves it more than the rest of the world. Everywhere you're going to find this, this innocent blood and this injustice. This is why... When the tribulation starts, the whole world feels the punishment. This is why. Because God finally is going to put his foot down. When Jesus comes back at the second coming, every eye shall see him. All the tribes and nations will mourn because God eventually says enough's enough. But notice the Lord gave Jehoiakim over. It was the commandment of the Lord. So you can fight against it. You can run from it. You can hide. They will in the tribulation. They'll flee into the mountains and hide and say, hide us from the face of the Lamb, right? It doesn't stop the judgment from falling. He that believeth on the Son hath life. He that believeth not the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. It's on you, and it's coming down, and you cannot escape it unless you hide under the cross. That's the only way to escape it. You say, how could the cross protect me? Because God's wrath already fell on Christ at the cross. He took the judgment of this world at the cross. So when you hide there, the judgment's already fallen. No double jeopardy with God. Sins are paid for. You go there, you're safe. Outside of that, there's nowhere you can run to. How shall we escape, Hebrew says, if we neglect so great salvation? Praise God, it's good to be saved. It's good to be saved. We read in verse 2 that the treasures, the vessels of the house of God back in Daniel 1, they ended up in Shinar in Babylon. This is what happens when you don't take the sacred things of God seriously. They end up as trophies for the enemy. Here are the sacred things dedicated to God. Now they're in a Babylonian treasure room. And unfortunately, I think we're heading there too quickly that Bibles and hymn books are going to end up as museum fodder. (laughs) It'll be something where people walk through a museum and go, hey, remember a couple hundred years ago when people used to use these things? 
That's what happened to the things of the Jews. Just uh, in closing, look at chapter 5, Daniel 5 and verse 3. Nebuchadnezzar took these special things. And by the way, this is what the enemy does. The enemy comes in, takes the things that are most precious to your spiritual life, to your religious life, and mocks them. Why? Because if he can, if he can destroy your faith in what is sacred then you start to think, my God's not that powerful. You see what, see what happens? The devil comes in and takes something very sacred to you and starts putting doubts in your mind. Says, well, you know, there's mistakes in the Bible. Well, we don't have the originals. You know, well, that doesn't make, that wasn't translated right. It starts, see, starts destroying your faith in it. And the, and the world mocks it and makes a meme out of it. And it's something sacred we should be taking seriously when we don't. The enemy takes it, makes a trophy out of it. Daniel 5, look at verse 3. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes and his, his wives and his concubines drank in them. They're mocking the God of Israel. Now, you guys thought this was special. You thought that this helped you get close to God. Look, we can put our, our poison in it and just drink it, no problem. Make it now. Now, God stepped in here, right? Handwriting me on the wall. He said, okay, that's enough. <laughs> put, put my cups down. Stop it. <laughs> right? But God help us. We have something very sacred, right? We, we have our hymn books. We have our Bibles. We have our church. We, we have some things that are very important to us. Let's make sure we hang on to them. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Father, thank you for the sacred things that you've given us. Lord, as we continue to go through Daniel in the weeks to come, Please uh, open our eyes more and more. Teach us, Father, to appreciate these practical and prophetical things. Please bless our service to come, and we thank you for letting us gather today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, you guys enjoy some fellowship.